What's up, queens and royals? I'm your host, Angel, and you are listening to Awakened Love, a podcast on sex, love, and awakening. And these are the conversations to evoke the wise, wild, woke one within you. Let's go deep. What's up, beautiful awakened humans? Today I have a very special guest with us. Elena Brower is a mama, a teacher, an artist, a double diamond leader with doTERRA, a best-selling author, and the host of Practice You podcast. Elena has taught yoga and meditation since 1999 and is a new friend of mine that I'm so excited gets to share her magic with you today. Welcome, my love. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. What a pleasure. I'd love to dive right in and just ask, what does the term awakened love mean to you, if anything? It's funny. (laughs) I was thinking about this before we jumped in. I was actually at my standing desk and sort of in the living room, which I call my office, but it's really our living room. And James was (laughs) in the kitchen. He called over. He was like, I want to lay you down this afternoon. And I was like, dang, bro, that's fierce. And I thought to myself, I'm not going to share this, but this is what Awakened Love is about. (laughs) And then you just asked me that question. So that I think that's a definition. That's one definition. Yeah. Um, Just like freely speaking your wish with your partner or even your friends, you know, I also very, very current am feeling like Awakened Love is about very carefully selecting the people to whom you give your heart. Mm. And that doesn't just mean romantically, it means in friendship, in work, professional relations. I think Awaken Love feels something like that. Yeah. I love that you did share it. (laughs) I mean, it's you, one. And we had comfort from minute one, second one. And I know you'd appreciate it because it's a great fortune to have someone, especially of the male persuasion, and I don't mean that in any other way other than to say it's it's a rare thing, I think, uh, to just speak what he wishes in a way that yeah. isn't, um, you know, isn't daunting or isn't threatening. It's just a wish. Yeah. And it's so vulnerable, right? It can be so vulnerable to share what we want, to expose our heart in that way. So I couldn't agree more that that is absolutely awakened love and such a blessing. Mm. I was saying to a client this morning, like it's not because necessarily the genitals that someone has that they might, like I was talking, she's a woman in a heterosexual cisgendered partnership. And I said, when that's the configuration, oftentimes I was talking about being a leader when it comes to the emotional side of things or the love side of things. And I'm like, it's not because you're a woman. It's just because the world we live in, men who are cisgendered and heterosexual often receive far more conditioning around that. And so it almost makes it more brave in a way. Yeah, I think that's true. And I said to him, you know, there's, we have a house full of everything happening right now, including other folks staying here. And um, I was like, ah, I don't know. I have to go get on this podcast and maybe <laughs> later. And he just was like, well, I'm just speaking my mind. And I was like, bravissimo. You know, <laughs> perfect. Yeah. And then you've got that like um, energy running between each other. And for me, this That's is a right. really big part of foreplay for committed, like longer term partnership is just that. Totally. Yeah. How many totally. times would you say you've been in love and what was that like? I would say six or seven. 
times yeah. in my life. Yeah. Yeah, easily. And those are, you know, relations in, into which I entered. But there are many, many more times that I've been in love. Mm-hmm. So many more where nothing happened or a friendship happened. I mean, I fall in love all the time. I fell in love with you the moment I saw you. That was like a ridiculous, wow. You know, there those sorts of things I feel also count, but mm. six or seven like solid relationships, love relationships. That's interesting because I was thinking about that as you were um, counting is that idea also, yeah, of friendship, love. Can you speak a little bit to that? Like when you fall in love with a friend and you're like, oh my God, I think, yeah, I want to know this person or whatever it is. Like, what's that like for you? Yeah, it's just so sweet. You know, it's it's partially it's a recognition of yourself, some aspect of yourself that you haven't been recognizing or that you totally do recognize and <laughs> can see in this other person. Um, I can, I'll use you as an example. When I first saw you, I was like, oh my gosh, she is absolutely beautiful. She is wide open. She is, the first thing that came to my mind was how young you were and how available you were mm. as, a, as, a, as a heart. And that, that to me is like, I'll, I'll just dive right in. No problem. <laughs> you know, if all those yeah. things are in place, not necessarily the like physical beauty, even though you have all of that, but it was more just the availability. You were just mm. standing still there right there. Joshua had introduced us and and I distinctly remember the moment where you weren't going anywhere. We were chatting. You know, <laughs> we were we were in it. I don't I can't I don't know what to attribute that to, but I've had many conversations and interactions like that and it could be the position that I'm in in terms of the work that I do. Uh it could be a projection that somebody has prior to meeting me, who knows. Mm. But I I find that 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 openness, oh, it's so sumptuous and mm. delightful to encounter. It sounds as well, it's interesting. I'm seeing the thread of hearing you express that your partner openly expressed his desire, sharing about our introduction. It sounds like, and does this feel true, that that openness is a real kind of magnet or attraction point for you? Yeah, mm. yeah, for sure, for sure. It's magnetic and it's... Often, not always, it's something for which I will stick around and make an effort. Yeah. How did becoming a mom change the idea of love for you, if, if it did at all? No, it didn't really. <laughs> it didn't. I've always been this way. But I will say that when I look at the kid playing the piano, mm. which he wasn't doing for some time, and then I started taking lessons, and suddenly he was in on my lesson. Like hijacking my teacher and showing her what he could do, learning the the songs that I'm learning like at a hundred times warp speed. When I sit and watch him, something distinct happens. I sit on a chair just to the right of the piano and I am so deeply committed to this one human. Mm. Like that's my one child. I'm not having any more. The shop is long closed and I love him so much in such a different way than anyone else on planet earth. Mm. So 
I guess there is a shift, but I think I was always capable of this kind of love. I just never knew it before I had a place for it. Oftentimes, wow, that was powerful. Yeah. I, never, I was always capable of this love before. I just never knew I had a place for it. Yes. Damn. Mm. Wow. And he gets pissed off when I like <laughs> stare longingly at him, which is often, oh, it's so weird to say this out loud, but I'm just going to say it because it's you and I'm sure the people who listen to you would understand. Often when I'm looking at him and he's playing the piano in particular, and it's a longing look, it's my mother who's sitting there. She passed uh, five, five or six years ago mm. and she, and it's her. It's not me even though it's coming through me as the vessel it's my mother's longing to be closer to him I can feel her I've written about it I've written a poem about it oh my gosh do you have it to hand I want to hear it (laughs) I probably do I'm gonna see if I can find it actually it's in my google document it's a book that I'm gonna self-publish yeah it's called softenings and it's gonna be like one of those books where you have to like go digging for each each piece of writing in an envelope or in a slot or some kind of, you know, you have to, you have to go find it. Mm, I love that about the books um, that I have of yours. They're so interactive. There's like a tactile, sensual, Mm. interactive quality to them. Yes, totally. Okay. Here it is. I found it. It's called patience. Mm. Evening finds me near the piano dishes done sitting on the spare chair. Occupying myself with orders for kitchen supplies and a book on Audible later than my son said it would be. He walks in eventually, taps my shoulder knowingly, feels more like an old friend to me than he did yesterday. We don't speak. He kind of winks, takes his seat and begins his whole body emitting Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata like he was born with this music within him. He delivers it with the patience of a much older man. The way his hands get lighter during certain phrases takes my breath away. Suddenly and without warning, my mother is present within me and I can smell her. Understandably, she wants to be with him right now up close. And I'm the best vehicle. She knows it. He finishes most of the piece, his promise complete, eagerly heading back to streaming and shared virtual space where he dreams of being seen for different reasons. Newer prowess deemed impressive by his peers. And when he catches my tears coming nearer, he's standing over me, his hand on my head, drawing my cheek against his belly quietly. Yet another door into the temple. Wow. Makes me cry every time I, I read I was it. trying not to audibly sob. <laughs> Fuck. I was like, be quiet. <laughs> She's <Yeah>. reading. <laughs> wow. Oh, my God. Grief and love and loss. Yes. It's all just so intimately intertwined. And my brother, um, he had a baby. Well, his partner did. He didn't birth the baby himself. Right. Um, uh, two days ago and and I was literally just having this conversation I don't know if this resonates but it's kind of what I got from that that like the birth kind of brings you in touch with death and death kind of brings you in touch with birth and I guess when you have a kid and it's like this new mm. life the leading edge of your ancestral line kind of brings mm. you in touch with those that came before it's like whoa yep that's it right there <sighs> for somebody who's listening if you're listening to this you're not having a kid I promise you you're not missing anything 
I swear. I just want to say that in advance. Mm. But if you get the chance, you might as well see how you, as the sort of mediating generation, really do serve as a vessel of communication between the generations. Mm. Even if there's no relationship between, you know, between you and your parents or caregivers, um, you know, or whoever, whomever raised you, you're still a vessel, a, a, a conduit of a sort for the, whatever wisdom needs to be translated, transmitted down to your kid. Mm. It's neat yeah. to think about it. That's a really cool way to think about it because it's like even if the wisdom that you received was through pain or through neglect, it's like there's still wisdom in that yeah. in a way and you get to be, I love that, the bridge between generations. Right. What do you wish someone told you about being a parent that you don't feel like people speak about enough? You know, somebody did share it with me when he was three years old and it was the best piece of advice I ever got. I share it all the time when I'm talking mm-hmm. about parenting. Just ask the kid if there was anything you could have done better that day. Wow. And do it from when they're very, very young. When you think they don't understand. Meh, meh, meh. And, and, and second would be to tell them the truth. Don't lie to them. If you're getting mm. a divorce, tell the fucking kid you're getting a divorce. Explain to the kid that there is extenuating circumstances. There are extenuating circumstances and it's time for you and the other parent to be great friends. It just changes sometimes. Don't hide things from children because children already know. What's up, beautiful beings? If we're not yet friends on Instagram, then we should be. Come on over, Angelica Alana, A-N-G-E-L-I-K-A-A-L-A-N-A. Lots of A's. It's the best place where we can connect more deeply if you're interested in connecting with my work, my group coaching programs, maybe having a one-to-one session. Or if you want to take my new free quiz to discover which is the dominant goddess archetype that you play into, or experience in your love and sex life. It's a lot of fun. I've never seen this put together in this way anywhere else in the world. And I found it to be such a rich source of information and a great framework for evolution in my work. I've been trying and testing this out. And women have been having wild breakthroughs, realizing these ancient archetypal outlines that they may have been playing into uh, in their sex and love life. And once we see it, then we can learn to expand beyond it. So if you're interested in taking that quiz, the easiest way to do it is to come on over to Instagram, find me at Angelica Alana, Angelica with a K, and then click that link tree in the bio, and you're going to be able to find the free quiz there. I can't wait to connect with you more deeply there. <sighs> yeah, that that idea of truth was actually something that you and I were talking about on a hike we were on recently, right. this idea of truth and telling the truth. Right. But also you were talking how that was like a central request that you had of Jonah. Can you yeah. share a little bit about that as well and, and what your experience with that has been? For sure. Um, I started telling him this when he was like really little, probably five, four or five even. I started telling him that if something goes awry and he's uncomfortable telling the truth or he thinks he's going to get in trouble. I wanted him to know that he won't get in trouble ever Mm -hmm. as long as he tells me the truth, Mm -hmm. even if it's something terrible, even if someone he knows or he has done something terribly wrong, I'm not going to punish him or get him in trouble for telling me the truth. Mm -hmm. And 
he trusts me with things unmentionable on a podcast because they're personal to him. Yeah. But he trusts me with things that are out of control amazing. And mm. I feel extremely close and fortunate to have the closeness that I have with him. And I'm, I don't like make a big deal out of it. Uh, I'm not like overly woo woo with him, you know, I'm just there. I'm there mm. and he knows he can trust me and he knows he won't get in trouble for telling me what's going on. Mm. So powerful. And I really witnessed that connection that you share with him. And I think that's mm. what inspired me to ask you that question and get into the parenting when we were on the hike, because I really feel that it's very apparent, uh, the closeness between you, which is super interesting for a teenager of that age, right? Who is in their teenagerness, but also yeah. really adores their mom. It's so cool to see. I've always said, I really hope one day, uh, if I get the opportunity to be a parent, if I seize that opportunity, that I become the type of person my child wants to be around, not because I'm their parent, but just because they, I'm, I'm someone they want to be around. That I see that. Is, yeah, that's well said. I, it's my absolute aim. Like I just, I just want there to be an open channel, no fear, no need to lie or hide or tell secrets or keep secrets. Hmm. Yeah. So, so, so powerful. I have a lot of coaches and healers and teachers in the transformation space who also listen to this podcast. So I just wanted to get into a little bit about the industry and kind of work stuff. If mm if you feel open, but what have you seen change in the industry since you've been in the space and what do you feel has changed for the better, but what has changed for the not so better in your opinion? Well, it's been 23 years mm. and I started in my twenties and now I'm 50 and I feel as though the, the practices, the healing practices are ubiquitous and that's a great thing. You know, it doesn't, nothing is lost on most any person from almost anywhere, save a few, you know, really rural places. Most, most all people have experienced some form of a healing modality. Mm. So that's not a bad thing. Um, I do feel like a lot of the practices have been kind of bastardized and co-opted and, um, diluted hmm. uh, and that sucks you know yeah. I, I wish that I wish that philosophy was given the same level of import that we gave it 20 years ago when we would sit and study for hours at the feet of our teacher or I wish that there was a more stringent form of certification for certain things yeah practices you know but okay the more the more we can get healing practices to people the better and and I don't mind that so much yeah I often say I'm I'm like in a similar camp where I'll say yeah you know friends might complain like oh you know it's a spiritual spirituality is just on like a bumper sticker and I'm like well put it on the bumper stickers and hopefully they'll bump into the truth you know <laughs> nicely said yeah that's <laughs> you know, good that, Hopefully, but yeah, I really feel you on that. Um, I would, I, I would consider you a, a master, and and in your mastery, what, what do you what do you think of the idea of mastery and and how how one becomes a master? How do we get to that? Get a picture of yourself when you're like three, 
or four <laughs> and put it up where you would see it every single day <laughs> and defer to that little person whenever you have a choice or a problem. That's, I think that's mastery. Hmm. You know, just being very much in touch with that little person inside of you who still hmm. is deeply present. Yeah. Um, that's one part. I think remembering that studentship is far and away the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Like constantly learning, reading books, real books. You know, I get that some people are not readers and that's okay. So then listen to it on Audible, but expose yourself to the confluence of great writers and be in a consistent place of absorbing their work mm. because there is no other way to grow your vocabulary, your, uh, your skill set, your ideas, your creativity. I really feel that reading is one of the most important things of all. Oh yeah. You're in good yeah. company here. <laughs> yeah. We, we connected on this already. Insatiable, insatiable uh, reader. I mm. totally agree. Do you, outside of books, I, I think they've been my greatest teacher for, for sure. And I've also had many incredible teachers. Do you have like a, any tips for either finding teachers or I know, like I'm always on the quest for more mentors, more guides. How would you suggest or how do you go about approaching mentors, creating those types of relationships, finding teachers? I have four women teachers that mm. I keep very close. Mm. I keep their work close mm-hmm. to me. And I believe firmly that if you have someone with whom you would love to study, just stay close to them. You know, mm. take their classes, do it virtually if you're not in person. Find ways to be in contact with their thought processes mm. and their offerings so mm-hmm. that you can start to absorb whatever it is that you feel uh, resonant with or connected to. Yeah. I think yeah. that's the best way. And then at some point you may find yourself um, completely in the place of asking for, you know, an audience with that teacher or, you know, asking to do a private or s- something like that. But you know, I have a I have a handful of people near me whom I happily mentor and work with because they've been around for ten years. Yeah, you know, they've shown me that they're here, they're committed, uh, they're listening, mm-hmm. and I'm deeply inspired to give them time if they have questions. Yeah, that's such good advice. It's like invest your time and your energy. Uh, be consistent, you know, yep. yeah, all of those things. And I think that's something that Patrick, my partner, um, often says. He's like, don't just think about what you can get, think about what you can give. And sometimes yes. that gift is, as you're saying, are you listening? Is this person listening? Are they receptive? Are they devoted? And and to feel that as a teacher, to feel someone's devotion um, to the work, you know, even if it's coming through you, I think, yeah, no, it's it's inspiring. That's cool. Yeah, I think just to just to clarify, and I, I really appreciate your use of the word devotion. I'm diving into that word this month uh, mm. with my mentorship program. 
I don't need that from a student. Mm-hmm. What I what I really look for if a student is asking me for guidance of any kind, I just look for their presence. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, devotion is super nice, of course, but I would prefer their devotion be directed at themselves mm-hmm. and at their practices, their body, their family, you know, rather than outside of themselves. I think that's the big lesson I have had to learn over time and time again. Don't mm. put so many eggs in the basket of any one teacher and don't foist your power over to them. Mm. You know, it's not about them. It's about what resonates with you in them lives in you or you mm. wouldn't even recognize it. So let's focus there. Yeah, how do we, that's like kind of a pitfall, right? And I can notice myself even in it and I have to catch myself pedestooling. Oh my um, God. Yeah, teachers or people that I'm like, whoa, just in such reverence and awe. And I and I think there's a balance point there. Do you want to speak a little bit to that kind of pitfall of pedestooling? Have you experienced it? How do you overcome it? I won't speak uh, any names, but I've put several teachers on pedestals and been disappointed. Mm. And so I don't, I will never do that to a teacher. I will never put another one on a pedestal. And I hope that nobody puts me on a pedestal and sees me as some other thing that's different Mm -hmm. from themselves. You know, I'm just, I'm just like you. You're just like me, even though we were raised different parts of the world. We had different families, different dynamics. You know, we're still this little girl beating heart and pigtails. You know what I mean? Yeah, I really do. <laughs> and for for anyone to make you into some sort of heroine or me into some sort of heroine is just misguided. It's about if 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 you're listening to this and you're thinking, "Oh, yeah, I've done that before." Like, okay, good. Lesson learned. It's about you. Mm-hmm. It's about me. It's not about the teacher. What I'm loving about the teacher is actually something that lives in me. Yes. Yes, it's it's awakening. It's a remembering, right? It's like as you were saying, yeah. even with the friendship thing, and I think it can happen in love a lot too, right? Like the quote unquote honeymoon phase. One of my teachers calls it projectional love, when we're just like projecting all over them who we think they are, who we want them to be, the potential of the love. Um, you know, writing in our diary, Mrs. Mm-hmm. Angelica, whatever. Yeah, have you ever experienced that in love, where you kind of put someone on a pedestal? Many times. Mm. You know, many times I've stayed too long because of it. Yeah. You know, <laughs> we've all been there. It's, you know, you, you, anyway, I've, I've looked at somebody, seen their potential and stayed because of the potential that I saw rather than the reality I was experiencing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a big one. What do you think is up with that? Because I, I see that a lot in my work with women around relationship. I've definitely been there myself. Like, What is your perspective on that whole falling in love with and staying for the potential of a person rather than, as Maya Angelou would say, believe someone when they tell you who they are the first time? Thank you for that reminder, <laughs> Maya. I think that we have a tendency to want to be needed. Mm. So we will stay in relationships where we think we are needed to 
ameliorate or enhance the person or the situation rather than just be in a relationship where things are pretty chill and relaxing and even easy. <laughs> right? God forbid. God forbid. <laughs> so I think that's what happens. Mm-hmm. And I think we stay in things where we're needed. Um, it's usually mirroring some aspect of childhood. I wished I had been more useful in my childhood in many respects in my family. Mm. I was always feeling useless and pointless. Mm. You know, I found my way. I was in my room and creating lots of, you know, opportunities to create and draw and clean and be by myself. But the, the wish to be useful became my profession (laughs) in the end. Yeah. So it's something we have to watch out for. And I think that's why we do it. Yeah. I I think um, I resonate so much with what you're sharing around like how we experience our family dynamic and how that not only plays into relationships, but the path that we choose. Mm -hmm. Do you like that? I mean, I know for myself, I've had to be really conscious of the savior complex, like the part of me that wanted to save members of my family when I was little and felt, you know, hopeless and helpless yeah. and, and kind of watching that play out as a younger coach and really getting to work with and integrate that part. Have you seen that play out, whether it's for yourself or in other people, do you see that archetype in the transformation space that like savior kind of complex? Oh yeah. Anyone listening is, you know, can recognize it and it's uh, it's a very perilous slope, mm. you know, Nobody's here to save anyone else except for themselves. <laughs> Nobody's coming for me. No one's coming for you. <laughs> you know, like we're in charge of our own situation. Mm-hmm. And yeah. to think that we could save somebody else is a joke. Like even when people reach out to me and say, oh my God, you saved my life. You stopped me from continuing to use drugs. La la la. I always say, I absolutely thank you for reaching out. But you did that. Hmm. I didn't do that. That's the sign of a great teacher in my perspective, in, is someone who will consistently lead you back to yourself and to your own power. On the topic of sobriety, how important has that been for you? Is that a journey you feel open to sharing about? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, my situation was that I was addicted to marijuana. I know that you might be listening and thinking, oh, no. Marijuana is not addictive, but for me it was, and Mm. it was funny, and it was never a super low low. Mm -hmm. It was just a real distraction from me doing the great work of my life that I could be doing. Mm. And so when I quit, which was not easy, it was basically a a daily two to four hour, you know, extravaganza where I was telling myself that I deserved this high and also this little cigarette that I would have after I would smoke the joint, which also had tobacco in it. And then I would go downstairs. I would always up on the roof of my apartment building in New York. I would go downstairs and I would clean and I would do all sorts of bullshit, not work. Mm. And, you know, it was kind of floundering you know, making enough money to live where I was living, but it was never saving. It was never feeling responsible. It was never feeling like, you know, this is what 
this is what it's like to have money enough to take care of my kid in this way, to pay for this that I want to pay for, to, you know, buy my own home. That was never going to happen. Mm. And when I stopped, um, I found three things. I found super, super creative energy that was being veiled and squandered by the habit. Mm. I found a relationship to my kid that I was not really mining. You know, it wasn't, I wasn't taking advantage of that at all. And I found a, uh, a commitment to my work and an identity as a business owner, which I never had before. Mm. Yep. And that changed everything for me in terms of my quality of life and my, you know, just how I, how I function overall changed everything to be sober. That's really interesting to hear you talk about this idea of step, seeing yourself, like having the identity of a business owner. I know I've had many teachers talk a lot about, and I share a lot about this idea of, you know, change happening at the level of identity. Can you speak a little bit to that shift, you know, out of just kind of making it by into, I mean, I know it's a big shift, but for so many people listening and really desiring to step into their worthiness, know how to really make more money from a place of not just emptiness, but like Mm. really walking the path. Um, So hearing you talk about that shift and also knowing you as this incredibly successful, but also change maker, impact creator, spiritual woman, what was that like for you growing your business, growing your wealth and doing that as an awakened spiritual human? You know, I struggled with it for a really long time because I didn't really understand that money is just another form of energy. Mm. I'm not saying this from some pie-in-the-sky, white-privileged woman perspective. I'm saying that no matter who you are, where you are, if you see this money as energy and you respect it as energy, you'll start to treat it differently You'll save it differently. You'll earn it differently. It will be um, present in your life in a different way. Mm. And so to see that and to really live the truth of it was to start to look at my bank accounts every day, start to actually make a budget for myself and actually respect said budget, (laughs) start to ask for more money, than I was asking for because I didn't deem myself worthy of it. So it changed into a whole worthiness conversation. Mm. And then, of course, saving and giving changed as a result of all that because if money is just energy, then, okay, I can set a little bit of this energy aside for some later date when I want to create something that I've dreamt about my whole life. Mm. And I can also give in a way that I've dreamt about my whole life. I have five different causes to which I give every month, some a lot, some a little. And then whatever I want to give on top of that, I can give. And it's, you know, I I like to have that as a constant presence in my life. So when I'm earning, I know that that's going to get given. Yeah that energy of generosity, it it can be hard to come into contact when we're in scarcity, uh, 
Can you speak a little bit to that around perhaps how we can start to develop a relationship with reciprocity and, and generosity if we're feeling really terrified around money? Yeah. Um, look, this is going to sound a little woo-woo, but I promise you that it's not. If you have a dollar coming in and you save 10 cents of that dollar or 5 cents of that dollar and you give it to somebody who's actually got less than you, Mm. there's a very certain momentum that is initiated in the fabric of what happens around you. I can't really say it any more than that. I wish I had more concrete terms (laughs) because I've just experienced it so many times. But when I finally got wind of the fact that tithing is a really, really smart thing, no matter how little I had, uh, it did change my relationship to money considerably. Mm. And it, I, I don't want to call it even generosity. It's just what should be. Like well, the the I've found ways, honestly, and I mean this as naively and as surely as it sounds, they're both present here. I am personally making reparations to people of color got ongoing by including them in my work, by making sure they get compensated or uh, donations are made in their name when they work with me. I make sure that there are sort of an even, uh, an even exchange of energy whenever I work with a person of color. It doesn't matter what brown, black, Asian, whatever. I want to ensure that that is a part of my life's work, period. Mm-hmm. And I am super naive, and I'm sure that I will offend people at some stage along the way. As of right now, I think that I've done a pretty good job of creating this as an aim for my life because Mm -hmm. it means something to me. And whatever has meaning for you, if you're listening to this, you can initiate change via the money that comes to you You can share it and you can create ways for people who have historically not been given the same privilege or opportunity in your work. Mm. And it doesn't take much. And you don't have to do like some sweeping, you know, change to the way in which you operate. No, you can just take a certain percentage of whatever you earn. Or, you know, if you have like an affiliate relationship with some thing or some product, you can say, okay, all the monies that come from this are going there. Cool. That's Mm -hmm. a move. And that's a move that changes the fabric of things. And again, I say this naively as well as very, very surely and confidently. I realize that there is no um, absolute fix for any of this. Mm -hmm. But knowing what I know now about how things have historically been for these many hundreds of years for people of color, I want to do my small part and that's what I can do. Mm. Yeah. I really like this idea of finding the thing that moves you and letting it move you, I think. And I also loved hearing you say how it's not generosity. It's just 
the way things, like the natural order almost of things, kind of allowing the natural order of things, this energy of reciprocity and to, to come through. I've also heard, I can't remember who it was, but I've, I've heard more than one extremely successful, I guess how you define that term, success, but grounded and kind and also extremely wealthy human being state. And I can't remember who it was, but that they always give a certain percentage of their income. And yeah. that they have actually had times when they were tightening their belt and they were worried and they stopped giving and things got worse and they made the choice to keep giving instead yep. and then things got better. And again, that could just sound like superstitious and bizarre, but also even if it is just superstitious, the result is kind of positive that, that you're going to be giving. So I'm down for that kind of a superstition. Yeah. No, the result is that the historical inequity is gently and subtly and in small increments made right. Yeah. That's all. We, we can each do our little part mm-hmm. and don't discount the importance of your little part. Yeah, that's, that's big. The, that's the point. Yeah, don't wait. It's like the when I, then I, when I have wealth, then I will give to these yeah. causes that move me. Uh, and then I will create change. When I have impact, then I'll create change. It's like, no, you you, you create impact by starting <laughs> to create the change where you are. That's right. Yeah. And may I say also that it, it, I started, you know, donating when I was a little girl, mm. <laughs> $7 a month. My mom, bless her heart, she let me do it. Mm. And I started giving my, you know, as I was adult, as I, I became an adult and I was giving my own money, I started way before I had quote unquote enough to give, whatever that means. It's so relative. Yeah. And it felt really, really good. Yeah. That energy of consistency you were kind of talking about in the beginning. I don't know why that's coming through, but you were talking about how you feel kind of attracted to. I think it was consistency, well, openness, but also in students like that showing up. There's something just attractive about that quality in ourselves and in others, like consistency, showing up for what matters and what moves us. Yes. So I hope everyone listening feels, I know I'm feeling really inspired by that. Nice. And I, I, was, I know we were talking about sobriety as a really big part of um, creating shifts in your life and more stability. And I was wondering, is there anything outside of that that you did or didn't do that you also think may have contributed to your success today? You know, I just think that having, having a relationship to honesty uh, has been a big deal for me. Mm. Uh, there were many times in my life where I was sort of carrying on double uh, situations, you know, whether I was carrying on with another guy on text or, you know, saying this behind one friend's back and saying this to the, to their face, you know, all these sort of duplicitous little moments, they, they accrue. I was listening to a talk today, actually, uh, the Handel group where I did some coaching for a really long time and still do on occasion. Um, both as a client and as a teacher of it, I was listening to a talk between Marnie Neer, who's one of my primary coaches, and Ali Bogart, who's one of my best friends, and they were giving a talk on uh, on this particular summit. And Ali was saying how, in her experience, she used to feel like keeping a secret was easier than telling the truth. And for a lot of us, that is true, because <laughs> historically in our childhood, 
it actually did feel like it was easier to not say anything about X because that would have stirred up a whole pile of problems. And as we get older, anyway, as I've gotten older, what I've realized is to have a relationship to what is true for me, I'm not saying the truth because the truth is different for everybody, but to be able to tell my own truth and to tell it in a way that is, uh, it's received and uh, understood without having, you know, terrible ramifications that feels important to me yeah yeah that's a big one a deep relationship with truth Mm -hmm. you know I think that's something that we can all reflect on and and it's such a spectrum we might think that we're an quote-unquote honest person but Mm -hmm. um if we get into really deep integrity with that you might like you know for myself as a practice as well you start to see these little things that feel like small white lies or even withholdings uh that aren't coming from a place of integrity that are coming from that place exactly as you said it so beautifully or your friend said it so beautifully of the little child that's a that's afraid that that yeah that's easier to keep a secret than it is to tell the truth it's so powerful and do you feel like do you kind of span that across the the macro, the big quote unquote important things, but also are you pretty micro with that as a pillar, like down to the, you know, all the way through? Yeah. I catch myself every now and again. Uh, James will be like, Oh, did you do this? And I'll be like, no, but I really did. <laughs> and I'll, I'll turn around and be like, Oh my God, I'm sorry. I actually totally did that. And I'm really sorry about it. And we have a laugh about it. It's, mm. it's so deeply ingrained in me to lie. Mm. And so uh, there's no longer any lot big lies in my space as there were so many before. Mm. Um, now it's just those little ones. And I catch myself, I have a promise that I just catch myself within five minutes and I just write it, you know, yeah. R-I-G-H-T. I just make it right yeah. and move on and have a laugh and, yeah. you know, don't be hard on myself that's not an option (laughs) you know it's just make it right and move it on yeah sometimes you just gotta name it you know like if I find myself I've been like short with uh let's say like a shopkeeper was really rude to me and I'll be like short back I'll like Mm -hmm. find myself in the car being like okay that was definitely not your best self (laughs) right totally and you're still able to be good at what you do you know, like give myself permission, like you're allowed to be both a petty, petulant child in that moment yes. and yes. also a great teacher. You're okay. <laughs> yes. And um, I, think, I think one of the most important things, Judith Lasseter teaches me this all the time, which is give yourself empathy. Mm. Like, holy God, mm. it is the most important thing to just sit hand on your heart wherever you are and give yourself some grace, some empathy. Yeah, give yourself some grace. Oh my gosh, doesn't ever doesn't that feel good in everyone's system listening? <laughs> give yourself some grace. <laughs> give yourself some damn grace. It's the best. Yeah. Well, speaking of that, that wisdom, uh, a lot of people ask that question, like if you could go back to your younger self and give yourself a piece of advice question, which I love, but I want to put a little mm-hmm. spin on it. I'm curious mm-hmm. if you could have your 80 year old self come back and see you today, what advice do you think they might give you? <laughs> it's really funny. <laughs> I often see myself as that old I check in with myself and I'm like, all right, if you're an old lady, would you approve of what was happening right now? 
honestly, I feel this old lady in me so present. I don't know if it means that I'm going to die early or if it means I'm going to die really, really old. Mm. But I do ask the question with some frequency. And I think what I usually arrive at is just relax. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Just relax. Like you don't need to worry. You don't need to be so uptight. It doesn't need to be perfect. You're not going to go to your grave with the note on the grave that says, that day was perfect. (laughs) You know, you're going to go with a nervous system that was tended to. Mm. With a nervous system that was tended to. Yeah. I'm laughing because it's making me think Dr. Kat, a friend of mine, she's a sex therapist Mm. and uh, relationship expert was on the podcast a little while ago. And she Mm. gave me a piece of advice at Burning Man that I always think about. And I just thought of my 80 year old self also saying that when I heard you say, just relax, which is unclench your asshole. (laughs) (sighs) (sighs) Like just unclench your butthole. doesn't need to be that tight. We don't need to be so. (laughs) Oh my God. That's really funny. And, you know, typically advice at Burning Man is something you never want to forget, first of all. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of gems. If you're willing to, to uh, lead into the weirdness and the absurdity, which For is sure. my favorite part, then, yeah, you get a lot, sure. of, a lot of terrible advice and a lot of amazing advice. And you just get to sift through, kind of like life, really. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I also, I mean, speaking of getting a bit saucy, I want to kind of close on this before we move into sure. rapid fire. Did anyone ever give you any really great advice on sex? And did anyone ever give you really, like, what's the best advice on sex you've received and what's the worst advice? (laughs) Be honest, no one's ever given me, like, advice on sex. I've just gleaned a lot from talking to a lot of different people and from having a lot of different experiences. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I would just say if you're a woman listening to this and you've never been with another woman and you have the opportunity to do that, I would say definitely do that before you die. That's an important thing. It gave me, it's happened a handful of times in my life, but it's given me a real appreciation for who I am in the cis relationship that I have. Yeah. I've really come to appreciate women in general and myself in particular through that experience. I would say that's an important one. Mm. And I would say to men, not not to all men, obviously, this isn't, a, I realize that I'm stereotyping here. Um, but most men that, that I've met need to understand that one of the sexiest things for women is just a, a conversation, not an annoying, whining conversation, blah, 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 but like around sex to talk about it, to to you know, especially as we get older, to sort of like determine, okay, this is what feels good today. And it's very different from yesterday, Mm -hmm. you know, and to really continue to be in a dialogue is very fucking sexy. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because how do we know, right? Um, I was talking about this with some girlfriends of mine recently uh, who were in this space as well. And we came to this idea that the enemy is really silence when it comes to the sex life. Because it creates shame and then you can't grow. The shame bit is the biggest deal. And anything that you can do, I think, to, to sort of put a bow tie on that, anything that you can do to ab- avoid feeling shame and foisting shame on someone else 
is going to help sexual relations overall. Mm. All, yeah. all over this world, planet, universe. Mm-hmm. No shame. Yeah, it's so, so powerful. Uh, I always say the antidote to shame is honor. And just if we can find mm. a way to just honor what's true, voice our desires as your partner very deliciously did earlier. I'm holding the vision for you. So sweet. <laughs> make space and time for that. Oh, uh, totally, totally. <laughs> so sweet. Yeah. Do you feel ready to move into rapid fire questions? Uh, or last time. Is there any, yeah. any just... On a funny note, is there any really terrible, maybe it's Burning Man, maybe, I don't know, I went to Catholic school, I got some pretty terrible sex advice there. Any really terrible pieces of advice or or quote-unquote guidance slash education that you received on sex? You know, it's so strange how very few few pieces of unsolicited advice around sex landed in my space. I cannot explain. (laughs) You know, I was left to kind of left to my own devices and figured it out. I think that says a lot about as well. The sexual education we get is mainly just crickets. <laughs> it's a lot of crickets. I remember in high school, in, in high school, Mr. Greco, who was hilarious. I believe he's the one who taught sex ed. I don't remember anybody else teaching it, but he really made an impression. And um, we learned the basics. You know, we got the basics. Yeah. I don't think my parents gave all that much and I definitely learned a bunch from like movies and even porn, mm-hmm. um, sadly. But it wasn't until I was much older that I really learned what it means to, as you said, uh, honor another person in every way and mm-hmm. create space for safety and for mm-hmm. expression um, and for, you know, real connection. And mm-hmm. I think that's the most important thing. Yeah, it's the sexiest, in my opinion. <laughs> agreed. Totally uh, agreed. <laughs> so, uh, rapid fire questions. Feel free to just oh boy. rattle off whatever comes to your mind. Oh, boy. Um, so, what book or books do you gift to people the most? Most recently, I gifted The Five Invitations by Frank Ostaseski. Mm. He's a Be- Buddhist teacher, uh, Mm. colleague of Roshi Joan Halifax, The Fruitful Darkness, I've given um, Mm. her book, Roshi Joan. And I've also recently given Courting the Wild Twin by Martin Shaw, really beautiful writing, and Come of Age by Stephen Jenkinson. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That one is really – I mean, I'm still – re-reading from the middle of that book onward. It is just so dense and lush and rich. And I would also, I've been recommending, but I haven't gifted it yet, but I will, The Parable of the Sower by Octavia Butler. Mm. Wow, all of those titles are so luscious and inviting. You'll like Courting the Wild Twin. It's a fun book, if you know, as a storyteller. Mm. Um, He's Martin Shaw's an incredible storyteller. I'm taking notes. (laughs) Someone comes to you and they're feeling really down, but you can only give them one piece of advice. What do you say? Um, Give yourself empathy. Hmm. What is the most important thing, in your opinion, for successful relationships? Communication. Like set aside time for it. If you could be any animal, what animal would you be? (laughs) That's a really good question. Mm -hmm. You know, I I think I would be my very first pet 
was <laughs> a green and yellow parakeet by the name of P-E-T, P-E-T-E-Y. And he, he was not my, he was my first pet, but not my first dog. And he, I trained him so that I could, he could sit on my shoulder and he talked. I taught him how to talk. And he would put his head on my shoulder and I would like put my cheek, like lift my shoulder up to my cheek and, and cock my cheek down to my shoulder. And he would scratch his little molting feathered head (laughs) against my cheek and shoulder. He had such a good life and he could fly. So I would say that I would say I would be (laughs) Petey. I love that. Yeah. If you could have one superpower, what would it be? Flight for sure. Oh yeah. For sure. If you could take one spiritual practice or tool with you to a deserted island, what would it be? My meditation practice. Yeah. What's your favorite thing that you own? I don't know. I mean, the first thing I think of is like my little collection of Daniela Gregis dresses. Mm-hmm. And then and then I think of my easel, you know, mm-hmm. like my whole art corner where I paint. Mm-hmm. And then I think, oh, definitely my collection of washi tape. And then it sort of devolves from there <laughs> into all the art supplies. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, mm-hmm. I love that. People usually have, I need a lot of time for that one. It was, it was like beautiful to see you be like, it, it's kind of a funny question. So I love it. Well, the first it. thing I literally looked down, I'm wearing this beautiful dress that I wear all the time, Daniela Egregious. And I'm like, oh, this for sure. Yeah. Nice clothes, like clothes that you love and Mm -hmm. want to repeat all the time. At least for me, I made that commitment to myself this year, actually, I said, as a worthiness thing. I really want to wear clothes that I feel like a fucking bouse in every day. I want to get ready and put things on that make me feel good for me. Um, So I feel you, sister. (laughs) Yes. Uh, What's something you believe is true that other people might think is crazy? I'll take a risk and say... I think it really is true that your kids can know everything. Mm, mm -hmm. And people do really think that that's crazy. Yeah, that you can be totally honest and and truthful. Is that what you mean, transparent? Yeah, 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 you don't have to hide from them. And I've I've come across people with a seven-year-old kid, an eight-year-old kid, who still hasn't told their kid, you know, as we were mentioning before, oh, we're getting divorced, or oh, this one died, like why would you need to hide it from a fully functional human? Yeah. I don't understand that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really agree. I'm not a parent, but I, I can see the value in that. And I know that they yeah. say like in Europe, that sex education should start as soon as a kid can talk in a way that they can understand. That's um, right. So I think there's a lot of power to truth. Gives, give them the knowledge. Uh, if you could eat one meal before you die, what would it be? Sushi for sure. Jesus. <laughs> oh my God. Too. Like a real, a real well wrought little, you know, omakase adventure. Mm. That would be perfect. Yeah. That's a good answer. I haven't had anyone say that. And yeah. What do so, people usually say? Pizza? Um, not, uh, no one said pizza. A lot of people talk about dessert a lot. Um, oh, that's a lot of interesting. Talk about bread and butter is actually a really interestingly hilarious. Big one. <laughs> no, no, no. I want a fancy sushi meal or wait. Pasta is a big one too. 
uh, I'm not so much into pasta, although I did make a mean pasta last night with turkey meatballs. Um, <gasps> Gwyneth Paltrow's It's All Good. It's so good. <laughs> Honestly, page 105. Gwyneth Paltrow's It's All Good. She has turkey meatballs. And then at the end of the book, she has a recipe for go-to tomato sauce. You can't screw it up. And it's so good. And then you cook your pasta on the side, whatever you're having. It is the most delicious meal. Usually I steam some broccoli and put it in there. Mm. Because my doctor really wants me to get some lean protein. And she's like, enough of this already. Let's go. Yes. That's a good way to get it in there. But I would say one other thing. It might be, I had a boyfriend, Bentley, whom I still love and is so much part of our life still. And he took me, he's a real foodie, and he took me to twice to El Bulli, which was on the Spanish um, coast, uh, Brava. And that was the most exquisite, crazy meal I've ever had, molecular gastronomy. Mm. So it would be that, the sushi, Really fine, 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 like masa, mm. Mm. or per se. I would take the full Megillah per se any Where's day per se? before I die. Educate per se me. is Thomas Keller's restaurant in New York. And it is an absolute culinary masterpiece journey. Unbelievable. And every time you go, even during the times when I was like, oh, yeah, that was good, but it wasn't as good as the last time, like it's still out of this world exceptional from the service to the plating to the actual contents of the food everything is just exquisite my mouth is watering like crazy and it would be like the first thing I would book if I was going back to New York to just treat myself to a meal in the salon there Oh my God, I'm doing that. You know, Patrick and I, are one of our greatest bondings is over food. So I'm oh, like you have taking to notes. <laughs> just go. Honestly, you I'm go there. to the per se salon. You don't even need to make a reservation at the salon. But if you want to go and get the full Megillah, which is going to be like expensive, but well worth your time and money, mm-hmm. um, you make a reservation. Oh man, done. And yep. last one, if there was a universal answering machine and you could leave a 15-second note on it that everyone in the world was going to hear today. That's a great question. <laughs> well, I, I kind of, it's a spinoff. Uh, Tim Ferriss has a question, which is if you could have a billboard, what would you say? Right. And I was thinking like, could I innovate on that? So it's a spinoff from Tim Ferriss, credit to him. Uh, what would you say? I would say exactly what Judith Lasseter taught me, which I've mentioned twice already. Mm-hmm. Give yourself empathy. Mm. All war would stop. Those three words, that would be it. And I would give all the credit to Judith Lassiter because (laughs) she is the mother that I now have. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And uh, that's in her, she's a yoga teacher, but she also teaches nonviolent communication. And in her main message in her nonviolent communication is, okay, stop, got the picture now, put your hand on your heart or not, and give yourself empathy for a moment. Yeah, I'm like yeah. imagining myself doing that in the middle of a trigger. I have a lot of tools. I've not done that and I'm absolutely going to do that. And I hope everyone listening the next time they're having a blip in communication with themselves, with others, if they just pause and do that, wow, what would happen? Well, you know what I, when I do it the most, mm-hmm. when I'm driving my kid to school, and I'll say something and I'll be like, mom, it's so fucking stupid or whatever. 
And in, I don't even move my hands. I keep my hands on the wheel, but I give myself empathy in the moment. And yeah. then instead of the, the sort of quote unquote slight or perceived slight growing in mm. my mind or growing in importance in my body, mm. I have just passed it right through me. Yeah. I gave myself empathy. It, whatever he said really actually doesn't pertain to me. It pertains to him and his experience in the moment. Mm. Oof, if all parents, I mean, I can only hope that I remind myself to have this tool and I will be calling you and friends like Charlotte, who I really admire as parents when that day comes and be like, what was that thing again? I need help. Charlotte is amazing. <laughs> totally. Yeah, I'm definitely going to have her on as well. For sure. Oh, thank you, you so much for gifting me with your time. I know what of course. incredible human you are and what a deliciously full schedule I imagine you have. So I'm just so grateful. Less and less so. Yeah. What a gift, yep. right? I'm learning. I <laughs> really am point. learning. <laughs> mm-hmm. I imagine. Um, yeah, I'm just so grateful for you, so inspired by you and, and just so excited that our listeners got to hear a bit of your wisdom. Where can people find you if they're not already connected with you? Easy. Uh, ElenaBrower.com. There's everything mm-hmm. there from my art to my mentorship program to information about doTERRA to gosh, yoga classes. I teach weekly on Yoga Glow live stream. All of it is there. And my podcast, of course, Practice You podcast, yes. which you're coming on to in the yeah, fall. Can't wait. I'm excited to, to grill you, sister. I'm so excited. <laughs> oh, we're going to talk about so many juicy things. I'm it's scared. My toes are curling, but it's also a good thing, you know? Like, oh, it's going to be good. Tingling, toes curling, feeling scared, feeling excited. <laughs> my toes curl when I get excited. Yeah, me too. It's like a fear, excitement. It's very similar energy, right? You're like, yeah, like top of the roller coaster, about to go down. I'm excited. Totally, totally. <sighs> hey, thank you for having me, really. Thank you for being here. That's it for today, guys. Thank you so much for gifting me with your most precious resource, your time, attention, and your energy so that we can continue to awaken together and to elevate the level of consciousness on this planet to ensure that we are all thriving in love and sex in the way that we all so richly deserve and that is so possible for each of us. And if you want to connect with me and my work more deeply, I would love to see you over at Instagram at Angelica Alana, A-N-G-E-L-I-K-A-A-L-A-N-A, lots of A's. And there you can find that free quiz to discover which of the goddess archetypes is most dominant in your love and sex life. You can connect with me. You can apply for the group coaching programs, which are starting in September, book in a one-to-one session, or just see more of what I do and connect with me there. I'd love to hear from you. And as always, if you have feedback, questions, and comments, that's the best place that you can share them. I'd love to hear from you. Have a beautiful week and we'll connect real soon.